All right, thanks everyone for coming of all ages from what, one to 35, something like that. Sure. Where are you all from? Draper. Draper? Oh, okay. Draper, yeah, quite a, quite a drive down here. Thanks for making the trip. There's nothing that we like better than to host people, especially if you're coming for the first time, and especially if it's young people. We originally built the temple as a, a resource for the community. A trip to India without the expense and without the dysentery. <laughs> so um, I've often found, and you guys may prove me right, you may prove me wrong, that the really best questions come from the youngsters. So do you youngsters have any questions? You have five senses. What are the five senses that we have? Just give one. Um, smell. Smell. Feel. Feel. Taste. Taste. Seeing. Feel. Hear. Hear. Hearing. Okay. So, when I ask you this question, I think it pretty much covers everything. If you have any questions about anything you, you heard so far, you smelled so far, you saw so far, you touched so far, you taste so far. Does that trigger any questions? Yes. What's that? You talked to a llama. You touched a llama. I have a question for you. Do you know why llamas hum? Anybody know why llamas hum? They don't know the words. What's your question? These uh, pictures were painted by Vi, the llama lady. Um, she spent about six weeks up on a scaffolding. Well, actually, she painted them on the ground, but it took six weeks to place them, as well as all the, uh, the birds and everything up there. I think, just to describe them in a general way, they show that God's young. God's not an old guy. And he also prioritizes love, isn't it? When you think about your dads, okay, here's, here's a dad here, right? So I may be wrong. Are you a dad? You're not a dad, okay, all right. Someday you might be a dad, okay. So if you're, if you're a husband and a father, you also have to work to provide a roof and food and everything. But the problem is, the more time you spend at the office and pursue your career, the better you are at providing the more your family misses you, isn't it? The less time you spend at home. On the other hand, if you spend more quality time with your family, your career might suffer. So this is a, a tension um, that everybody feels. But what if you're God? Then you can solve that problem by expanding yourself. You can have your home expansion and you can have your office expansion, okay? So if you wanna turn your heads and look at that picture there, you see so many forearm Vishnu forms. So Vishnu is like what we read about God in the Old Testament. He's like a king of kings. He's very intimidating, monarchical, imperial, grapes of wrath, terrible swift sword. He's the God you fear. So he's the God at the office. But Krishna, you see there playing his flute and looking very sweet and innocent and loving. He's the God at home. 
So these pictures bring, bring home, pun intended to us, the fact that God is all about love. He created you out of love. He wants to love you. And believe it or not, God's ambition is for you to love him. And unfortunately, that's not the case so much, at least in this material world. We go to church, we pay lip service, but mostly our vision of God is what he can do for us, isn't it? Basically, when we think of God or conceive of God or talk about God, it's more or less like, what's it got to do with me? But these are, this is a window to a whole other world where we ask not what God can give us, but what we can give God. Because that's the difference between the spiritual world and the material world, isn't it? The material world is all about us. But if you want to go to the spiritual world, you have to reorient so that it's all about God. And God's all about love. So, good question. Yes. Yes, the single non, non-husband back there. Non-father. Okay. Yeah, why is Krishna, first of all, Krishna is a name for God, just like Jehovah, Allah, Adonai, God has many names. Even an ordinary person may have five or six names, first name, middle name, last name. Uh, he may have been on a, if you're from Spanish Fork, the likelihood is you've been on a state championship baseball team. Some people call you champ. Your girlfriend might call you schnooksum. So even an ordinary person has, you know, five to ten names. So God has, God's not limited. He has many, many names. There are 200 names for God in the Old Testament. In India, there's a prayer, a thousand names for God. So Krishna means all attractive. And he's basically the same God that everybody worships. And our definition of God, he's the source from which everything comes. So all colors come from him. Yellow, green, blue, red, purple. But being the all attractive, it's, a, it's a, a logical fact that something that's created cannot be more than that from which it comes. Does that make sense? A particle of sunshine can't be more than the sun. The sun's always going to be more than the sum total of the particles. So God is the most beautiful. He's the most attractive in his original form. And he keeps that most attractive color for himself, which is actually neither blue nor black. But the Sanskrit word to describe the original color of God is sham, which means the color of a monsoon cloud during the rainy season. And we all drive up and down the Wasatch Front all the time, right? And we've all seen those clouds, haven't we? The cloud banks on the Wasatch Mountains. And when I see those clouds, I think, Krishna. So good question. Another, another thought, which I'll just talk briefly, is that God is, by definition, the cause of all causes. He caused everything. Nothing caused him. People say, well, if God caused everything, who caused God? Well, nothing caused God. He, he's, he's the cause of all causes. In this world, everything is the effect of a previous cause. You're the effect of your parents. Your parents... Uh, your parents are the cause, you're the effect, but then your parents were the effect of their parents, right? Their parents were the cause, the grandparents were the cause, your, so on and so forth. Everything is cause and effect. You know, they, they have a vaccine for uh, COVID. Whether you believe it works or not, that's another issue. But they have a vaccine for COVID. 
So why do, why, why do they claim it works? Because it, it addresses what causes COVID. You take out the cause, you eliminate the effect, isn't it? That's how we, we cured polio. That's how we got rid of it. We didn't cure it, but we, we removed the cause, you see? Yellow fever and so on and so forth. But when you come to God, it's a different, it's a different ball game. He caused everything, nothing caused him. So to be facetious, he's blue because he's blue. <laughs> yes. Some other questions. Yes. Um, you talked about the Old Testament. What's your holy writings? Is it the Old Testament? Is there more than that? What's our holy writing? Well, I was born in a raised up Christian until I was 23 and met Christian missionaries. And then I sort of oriented myself more towards the Vedic literatures of India, B-E-D-I-C, of which the crest jewel is called the Bhagavad Gita. In Sanskrit, Gita means song and Bhagavad means God. And it's 800 pages divided into 17 chapters. And in there you find, sorry, 700 pages divided into 18 chapters. And in there you find all your core concepts of karma, yoga, vegetarianism, dharma, and reincarnation. But there's no contradiction, really, between any scriptures. Uh, there may be on different levels. We feel that the information that we have to us from India gives a fuller picture of God, but it doesn't contradict anything in the Bible or Quran. So I don't feel any compunctions about quoting or making parallels or comparisons or metaphors from any scripture, really. Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavad Gita means song of God. I think there's, there's a copy there on the bench and a lot more copies down there. If you guys have a library or something, we can, we'll be happy to donate if you want to in, incorporate in the library and then anyone can check it out and read it if you like. Remind me of that. Okay, more questions? Yes? What's this on my forehead? I, don't, I didn't know it was still there. This uh, V, that we're, we're Vaishnavas, and that means we follow Vishnu, which is a name for God. And so we put a V on the forehead so that everybody can recognize us. Just like you recognize a policeman by his uniform. And then you know how you can get help from him. You know how he can help you under what circumstances. So similarly, we, have, we, we dedicate ourselves to studying and putting into practice time-honored and time-tested scriptural concepts. So uh, we might be able to help you out with low self-esteem, with depression, with negativity, um, things like that. And, and that way, it's a practical um, application by which you can recognize us. It also happens to be made from the dirt, which is along the banks of the sacred rivers in India, like the Ganges or the Saraswati. Because once God walked on that dirt, and there's a possibility that at least one of those molecules of dirt had the footprint of God on it 5,000 years ago. Just like imagine if you go to Bethlehem, you might very well pick up some dirt and, and, and meditate that maybe God's footprint touched this dirt. You see what I'm saying? So we go a little further than that and we actually, uh, in, in our culture, the imagery of putting your head at the feet is very important because it reinforces that we're not the masters, we're the servants, and God is the master. And one thing you do to acknowledge that is you bow down. 
And so putting the head at the feet of the Lord is a, is a, a, a way of practicing humility. And so the, the dirt comes from part of, particles of the dirt may have been touched by the feet of the Lord, and that's good enough for us. Then we put it on our forehead. And, when we, and we do it in the morning after taking a shower. This is the one that's visible, but we put it on 12 parts of the body each time saying the name of God. Keshavayana, Narayana, Madhava, Vishnave, Govindaya, Madhusanam, Trivikram, Vamana, Shri, Rishikeshaya, Padmanai, Dhamadar. This one's a little hard to reach. <laughs> and it's called Tilak, by the way. Tilak. Another thing that's uh, generally applied when you go to the temple is a little red dot. Have you, you know about the little red dot? If you want, we can give you one after. Uh, it's called Bindi. And the little red dot is, is uh, the lotus flower is red. And it also has a powder on it that'll come off if you touch it. So the lotus flower grows within water and yet never gets wet. Even if you splash it, it'll, the water will bead and slough off and it'll be bone dry shortly thereafter. So it can be said of the lotus, it's in the water but not of the water. Similarly, we try to think of ourselves as being in the world, having material bodies, byproducts of this body, like children, family, country, but we ourselves are not this body. We are the spirit soul within the body. So the lotus reminds us and the red dot reminds us to do your duty as a teacher, as a spouse, as a parent, as a citizen, but at the same time, be detached because it's not the whole story, it's just one chapter. And Lord knows how many chapters you've had in the past and how many chapters are yet to come before we actually get out of this material world back home, back to Godhead. So the lotus, this, the lotus means detachment. Do your duty, but be detached. And when you think about it, if I'm eternal, that means I existed before the creation of this universe. That's what eternal means, right? And I'll also continue to exist after the annihilation of this universe. So if you, if you remind yourself of that two or three times a day, I seriously doubt you're going to be depressed. I seriously doubt that anything is going to spoil your day. Yes? You've never seen a what? A child? You hear them, you don't see them, but you hear them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nothing, just, just trying to be cute. Oh, you, you haven't seen a Krishna child? No, it, the, okay, there's, in, in, in more traditional times, perhaps 75, 100 years ago and back, the red dot also was worn by single women. It was a, it was a, you wouldn't have to look at, you know, get a crick in your neck trying to look at the ring finger of the left hand. It was right there out front. In fact, some people say it, it's a stop sign for guys. But nowadays, nowadays it's a fashion statement. You know, all, all kinds of girls wear them, they have jewels and everything. So it's kind of lapsed as a practice. Um, um, and, and, and so the red dot we're talking about is for everybody, in, including children. No discrimination, yeah. Yes? So what would be like the day in the 
Okay, it, you, you, you wake up after eight hours of sleep and Lord knows where your mind has been during that time, you know, just careening here and there. Uh, I used to dream when I was a kid that I was on a planet full of snakes, you know, snakes everywhere, snakes, snakes, snakes. I don't know if anyone else had that experience. Anyway, the first thing you do, you wake up, you get your mind under control. <laughs> you know, it's, it's run away from you, so you, you want to get it back because you're not going to be able to do anything spiritual or material if your mind is, you know, calling the shots, right? So we chant. We get up early in the morning. We shower, of course. And then um, we, we, we try not to pull out Facebook. We try not to look at our messages on our phone. But we try to put a good hour and a half in chanting on our beads. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram. That reminds us not only that we're eternal spirit souls, but it also reminds us that God has created us and he loves us. And if we ask him, if we start our day out sort of appealing to God for help and light and direction, he's not going to deny that. And so it's, a, it's a, a good foot to start off the day. And then sometimes with a family, we'll sit down and we'll have a little 15-minute discussion on the scriptures. It would be the Bible if you're a Christian, the Bible would be it if it was us. And then your day might look like anybody else's day. There are four things that we try to avoid employment in. We, we, we don't partake in these things ourselves. And unless, if you had to, if there was no other employment options, you, you could do it. But if you have options, there's four things that a devotee wouldn't work in. They wouldn't work in the meat industry because we're vegetarians. They wouldn't um, in any way work in a bar or own a bar because we don't believe in intoxication. Um, nor would we work in a casino because we're, we don't gamble. And then the last thing is we wouldn't work in a brothel, if you know what I mean. Sometimes, sometimes the word for brothel is motel, too. And unfortunately, our Indian community in America has a monopoly on motels. But uh, I've, I've been working with the Indian community for 50 years, and they're, 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 they're moving upwards. They're gone, they're gone from the short-term ones to the Marriott's now the ones who came as immigrants and could hardly speak English, and the only thing they could do was buy a cheap motel somewhere. Now their kids and grandkids have MBAs and they're running, you know, Marriott Resorts. So that's getting better too. And then of course, um, you know, you get beat up in the day. You know, you, you have pressures and stress and all kinds of things, you know, in, in, the, in the world, in the competitive world. So when you get back at night, it's a nice thing, again, to try to control the mind, have a sit down, have a class with your family. Um, you, can, you can actually take a few minutes to offer your food. Rather than preparing the food and putting it on the table and saying grace, most devotees and pious Indians will have an altar in their home. And after preparing it, and during preparing it, they won't taste it because they want to offer it to God. So they won't taste it while they're preparing it. And they'll offer it to him with a few prayers. And then when it's consecrated, which I'm sure is a term you're familiar with as LDS, then, then they'll take it. And so as a family, to offer your food and acknowledge God is also a very good practice before eating. And then, of course, any, any, God, any God-conscious family, any family that is with, eat meals together. I often get asked by LDS families, do you believe that you'll go together as a family in the next life? And I say, well, that depends. I mean, you have to be a family in this life. 
you know? If, if you don't eat your meals together, if somebody has a plate in, in their bedroom and they're playing Nintendo, and someone else is out with their friends, and you know, there, there's no gathering together to discuss God or, or to get everyone spiritually on the same page, then your con- the consciousness of everybody is in a different place. And after death, then they're also going to be scattered too. So the key to moving ahead as a family unit is to, is to do things spiritually centered in this life. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's not automatic. You have to work at it. I heard a story once about a rich man. He asked his gardener, he said, I'll give you any amount of money if you can make for me a maintenance-free garden. The, the gardener just started laughing and laughing and laughing. The businessman was a little offended. He said, well, what if I give you a million dollars? He kept laughing, two million, three million. Gardner said, he said, doesn't matter how much you give me, there is no such thing as a maintenance-free garden. You have to get down on your knees, you have to plant, you have to be in the sun, you have to have an aching back, sometimes it's raining, you have to pull the weeds if you want to get the harvest. See what I'm saying? So we're the gardeners of our lives. Nothing is going to, it's just not by becoming a card-carrying member of a religion or a faith or a belief are we going to get all the fruits. You have to garden your life, you know. Exercise discipline, self-control. Sure, the kids would rather be out doing something else, but it's your house and it's your rules, okay? So, and then when they become parents, they'll, know, they'll see the wisdom of it and all. Any kids have any questions? You don't look happy. What's wrong? <laughs> He's smiling now. Yes. This is a mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna is a name for God, which means all attractive, and Hare is the feminine. It's the energies of the Lord. Like, we can't just think of the sun, can we? We can't. When we think of the sun, we think of the sunshine, isn't it? The only reason the sun is powerful is because of the, the sunshine, right? So, God is God, God is all-powerful, not necessarily because of himself, but because of the fact that everything is his energies. Earth, air, fire, water, these are all his energies. See what I'm saying? So we consider incomplete to just address God. So we say, Hare Krishna, which means, O Lord, O energies of the Lord. See what I'm saying? That makes the complete, that's what makes God, God. See what I'm saying? Is, is, is an energy. See what I'm saying? And then Rama means two things in Sanskrit. It means a pleasure, a kind of spiritual pleasure which is not dependent on circumstances. And then it means uh, strength, spiritual strength. Gandhi is a good example of spiritual strength. He was probably 80 pounds soaking wet. He took on the, the, the colonial power of the British who had never been defeated, uh, who, whose empire it is said the sun never set upon, and the English soldiers were brutes. They were brutes. They were really brutes. And they were extremely violent. That's how they had gotten their way for hundreds of years. Gandhi took them on, kicked them out of India without performing a single act of violence. That's what we call spiritual strength or Rama. 
So I'm starting to lose the attention of the younger ones here. So why don't we do a little music? And that might interest them, okay? And if any of the kids, you have to probably be fast on this, want to grab the drums back there, um, you, you can do that. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got some drummers. The rest of you can clap or sing, or tap your foot or listen, whatever you want. So when you chant the names of God, any name of God, it, it makes you happy. I've never seen anyone chant and then have a long, sad face afterwards. Because everything about God, do you want to do this? This is Brad. He's going to do some. He'll do some chanting. I hope that I hope that five drums beating out of tune isn't going to bother you, Brad. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Here's Brad. This is our harmonium. It's an organ, but it has its own bellows, so you have to pump it. The only disadvantage is that you can only play with one hand. Okay. So the format goes, I sing a verse, and everyone repeats it back. If you feel comfortable. If you feel comfortable. The cheat sheet is right there, and right there behind us. It won't change at all. <laughs> all right. And then, uh, we'll see how it goes with the drums. It'll be fun. Hare <laughs> Krishna,
surprisingly well.